Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be bringing back Carol Levine, who is the longtime director of the Families and Healthcare Project at the United Hospital Fund of New York. She is a nationally recognized expert on family caregiving and also aging issues. She's the author of several books and countless scholarly articles. And just earlier this fall, in September, she published her latest book, Navigating Your Later Years for Dummies, which was a collaboration with AARP. Carol has also worked often with AARP and others on countless projects and reports related to the role that family caregivers play in supporting aging adults. It's been my pleasure to have Carol on the podcast already twice to talk about family caregiving, but today we are going to focus on the subject of her latest book, which is what older adults can and should do to better navigate their own later years. This is a topic that I know many of you in the audience have an interest in, so I'm just so thrilled to have Carol here today to share her insights on how to navigate these common challenges that come up in later life, and also on how to be proactive and set things up ahead of time to give yourself the best chance of thriving until the end. Carol, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Leslie. I'm delighted to be talking to you again. So you're very well known as an expert on family caregiving and the crucial role that family members often play in supporting people who have been ill or are disabled or can no longer manage everything themselves. In fact, you were just recently on the podcast, that was episode 60, talking about one of your research projects that you're involved in about negotiating family caregiving expectations after hospitalization. So I thought we might start with you talking a little bit about, you know, this, when I heard you had written this book, I thought, oh, wonderful that she's going in this direction about helping older adults navigate their their later years. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to become interested in writing this book in particular and addressing this topic? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, the most immediate and compelling is that AARP asked me Um, if I would be willing to take on this assignment and uh, work with them on uh, on this book and work with uh, Wiley, who's the publisher of the Dummies books. And after I took a deep breath and said, that's a pretty big assignment, I said, yeah, I can do that. And I was intrigued by the idea of talking not just to the family caregiver, but to the older person. Being um, an older person myself, I see the see what I've learned from being a family caregiver is important in my own life. So there are a couple of reasons. Okay. And in fact, I think, you know, you once mentioned to me that you're, now just for people who haven't heard our previous podcast episodes, you first got involved in family caregiving because your husband, this was many uh, years ago, was involved in a a terrible accident, was gravely disabled, and you had to take care of him, right? Right, right. I took care of him. He was was totally disabled with a traumatic brain injury and 
quadriplegia, so you can imagine. And I cared for him at home with the help of extraordinary men who were his aides during the day. But I was the night nurse. And I, that caregiving lasted through two moves to different places, apartments and in New York and uh, 17 years. And he died rather suddenly, actually, 10 years ago. So during that course of all of that, I had to learn a whole new way of living and taking care of his needs as well as as managing a life and, and a job. So during that time, I I recognized that there were things about making the apartment accessible for him that I didn't need then, but that I might need at some later point, such as grab bars, which I had installed, uh, and everybody should. I'm always annoyed when I go to a hotel and the bathroom doesn't have grab bars or they're there, but they're installed um, erroneously. And so after he passed away, I had the option of renovating the apartment. And I thought about, well, I could take make this huge roll-in shower bathroom into a really wonderful walk-in closet. And then I said, no, you know, you never know. It'd be good to have it. Actually, when the kids come, they would like it and so forth. And so I have it. It's an extravagance in New York, but it's the, it's the kind of thing that until you know you need it, you know, you can't do it. So there's a lot I've learned. Those are kind of uh, big examples, but there's an awful lot I learned about managing his care that I can then take into account. And one, of the, one of the most important, Leslie, is that we did my will, which was, and I've actually redone it twice now. Oh, interesting. So, um, we, had a, we both had, a, had wills done when we had babies, you know, little kids. And when I looked at it, I said, oh, my God, this doesn't apply now. Mm-hmm. So um, that was really important to take account of, of my life then and his life then and, and, and rewrite the wills, which actually I'm thinking about taking another look at it. This is probably four or five years since I've looked at it. So those are the kinds of things that it's easy to put aside, but then it's very important to have done. And most people just don't want to deal with it. But it's important. And it's certainly important for anyone who's not as old as I am, but in that age, you know, in an age bracket of of later years, shall we call it. Right, right. And uh, do you mind telling the audience how old you are right now? I'm 83. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. So you because of your background, you've had this sort of interesting experience of of having this very uh, involved position assisting someone else. And you have a house that already sounds like it's been modified in a lot of ways to be accessible to somebody who, I guess, was he in a, in a wheelchair? Well, he was in a wheelchair, yes, but also had a hospital bed and other kinds of mm-hmm. equipment. So one thing that most people don't realize about taking care of someone at home, this is my family, this is me family caregiver talking. When you bring in all of the things that, oh, you can do this at home, then you know, everything can be done at home. It actually changes the quality of your home to make it more like a clinic or a hospital. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff that I did get rid of because it wasn't, I didn't think I would I would want it or need it, but the things that were permanently done, I kept. Well, I think this is, you know, really helpful to hear about because so many people talk about wanting to age in place. 
Um, And I think may not have specifics on what is sometimes necessary to support somebody. Right. And aging in place, you know, it's kind of a mantra now, but aging in place really means living in a place that's safe and secure and comfortable. And that often requires a lot of thought and getting rid of things that have accumulated over the years and making your, I I think of it as streamlining your home so that you're not in danger from the stuff that's around you. And believe me, you know, people fall over them, you know, fall over a pile of books or fall over everything. Um, And those are the things that make your life more comfortable by living, you know, by aging in place. It's not a it's not a, an easy thing to accomplish. So, but I think it's really important if you plan to stay in the home you have to take a real hard look at it and say, you know, what, what could I do to make it safer and, and more comfortable? Right. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about those things, you know, how older adults can think about their housing and other aspects, but let's first back up for a second, come back to your mm-hmm. book, navigating your later years for dummies. So, who is it for? Like people of what age and ideally at what age or stage in life were you and AARP envisioning that people would read this book for themselves? We wanted to appeal to the readers who are in, I would say, 50s, 60s, and 70s maybe, who are thinking about but haven't made real hard decisions about where they want to live maybe in the next five years, 10 years, or somewhere that they could actually see, or their children are pushing them to make it cho- make choices that they're not quite ready for. So a big part of what I wanted to do was to say, take control of this discussion. Think about what you want. Think about how that fits in with what people are telling you you want. And one of the chapters in the book that I feel is is really critical is uh, the the second chapter, which is creating a a personal inventory and asking Mm. yourself, you know, real questions about your health, what it is now, what you think it might be like in five or 10 years. Your finances, certainly that's important, but not just the money or the assets you have, but how do you feel about money? Are you a person who saves every little scrap or every little dollar that you can, like my mother? <laughs> or are you a spender who rather would rather spend it out and have a really good time, like my father? So I think that there's... There, there are personal characteristics. And also, there, people have different ways of, when you think about assisted living or any other kind of group setting, some people love that. They're what I would call the people who loved summer camp. And there are people who have always had group experiences and groups of friends, and they will do just fine in in a good assisted living facility. And there are other people, and I would put myself in that category, who really are pretty much loners and aren't necessarily, don't don't avoid friends or, or groups, but do not see themselves as living in a group setting. So a lot of this is really up to you. 
What do you want? What do you want? How do you want to see yourself in the next stage of your life? Right, right. So one way that people could use this book is if they're starting to have their adult children or other people ask them about their future or to address their future, they can use your book to take control of the conversation and kind of put themselves at the center of it. And I'm glad you mentioned the inventory in chapter two, because I, I, I read your book just a few weeks ago, and I'm looking at my notes. And um, I did think that was an especially wonderful idea to sort of help people think about uh, not just what they have, but as you mentioned, their preferences. Yes. Because that can help help people consider their, their choices. So so one option would be for that, but you've also just included so much material in the book. It's a great resource that it also seems like something that people can refer to when they have particular questions about certain topics, right? Right. Well, I, I think that, um, Leslie, you may be the first person who read the book uh, other than the editors. The <laughs> well, it did just come out, but I don't think that's true because I think on Amazon you have a number of reviews already. But... Uh, I, I see the, using the book in a couple of different ways. One is as a resource, as a reference, that right now you don't need to know about, you know, certain things like um, tr- wills and trusts and so forth, or other kinds of, of legal arrangements, but you will. And there is a chapter that will help you get started. None of these chapters give you hard and fast rules. They give you what you need to think about, what you need to do, how who else should be involved. Um, but then there's the idea of, which I, I think I said in the book, starting like in the sound of music, start at the very beginning. The beginning is a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. And that's getting, getting the framework, starting to think in the ways about you as a person or you as a part of a couple and you as a family member. Uh, not to exclude the family, but to really get a good sense of your of your goals and your your possibilities. So I think starting at, at the beginning, the first couple of chapters would be a good idea, and then you know put it down and then pick it up when you uh, have have something in your mind whether you want to talk about you know um, downsizing your house or or other aspects of of your later years. You can pick up that chapter. So I'm glad you mentioned coming back to the book later, because I think there's so much to think about that it can be really good to actually take a first pass through it and then just give yourself some time to think it over a little bit and then come back to it. Now, in your opinion, what are the most important things for people to address? Or if they can't get through all of it, where should they start? What are the sort of key things to start with? Well, I think the key things are obviously where you're going to live. And, and not making an automatic, I'm never moving, um, but thinking, well, is this really the best place for me? Um, I hate to say it, but money matters here. And so you ha- do have to think about what are your financial expectations for your future and your liabilities. Are you caring for somebody else? Are there grandchildren that you've uh, made commitments to? Do you feel secure in the in investments if you have them? So it's often I, talking about money turns people off because they say, well, I can't afford anything. So 
I won't go, I'm not going to talk about it. That's not a good way to approach it, but to be realistic about what you have and how, how you want to spend it is really an important issue. I also think it's important to talk about the people in your life and who matters to you, which your children, your friends, there may be other people that you've had long time relationships with. Those are things that are that are that matter. Those are things that make the difference between having a really comfortable and stimulating life in your later years and kind of being alone, which I think is the really what people want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you say sort of being near family and friends, are you thinking for the, the sort of social company or to get help when the time comes? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, for certainly while you're healthy and able to do a lot, it's to do the things together. And maybe if you're retired, you can do more of those things together. But then there's always a time in which, you know, a little help would be useful. And there may be a time when you need more help. So I think it's more feeling as part of a community where you can call on certain people. One of the things that um, is in the book that I think is useful in two ways is the care map. And that's mm. a, a tool developed by Raj Mehta and the Atlas of Caregiving that is started out as and is a tool for family caregivers to look at their own situation and who could be helpful and what they do and who takes care of them and so forth. But it's also a way to kind of map out your immediate needs and your immediate contacts and who can be helpful to you in what ways. So I think it's a it's a visual way. It's an interesting way of kind of putting your life on paper and you can do it on with pen and pencil or you can or paper or you can do it online as uh, with an app it's an unusual way but i think it's a valuable way the people who have used it for caregiving purposes have been kind of astounded at what they find and i suspect that older adults looking at their own lives would find both more people that they haven't thought about in years, but also the gaps that currently exist that they could uh, try to fill while they can and while they're, while it's easier for them to do it. So th- those are two, two ways to go about it. The inventory that I described or the care map, which is a visualization more about people and services that would be helpful. Right. I mean, listening to you, it sort of occurs to me that you know that in part an older person can can go through the book and sort of be thinking about you know what do they have right now and what do they what do they need now or need to address now to kind of optimize their life right now or in the shorter term right you know the environment where you're living right now how good a fit is it for for your needs what are the advantages and disadvantages what uh what kinds of supports or or services or or health things, you know, might you need right now to optimize yourself. And then there's sort of planning for a future time when you might need more help. And then how does your housing fit in with that now? Or what would your finances enable to make possible or your proximity to to family? So it, it sort of occurs to me that there's the both the assessing of 
of right now, because often there there are things that people could do right now to improve things in the shorter term. Yes. And then there's laying the groundwork so that later uh, you can get what you need and also not be scrambling at the last minute to figure something out. I think you say in your book that um, you can't plan for everything, but you need to do some planning yet be flexible. (laughs) That's right. Um, Yeah, I'm not a fan of, you know, nailing every possibility down, but I am a fan of thinking ahead to what is plausible and possible. And once you've done that, even if a crisis does occur, you've got something to go back to. You've, you've, you've laid the framework for it. I mean, one of the areas that I think is, is more easily addressed right now for people is transportation. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like to drive at night. They don't like to drive in bad weather, which I totally agree. Not a good idea. But now there are many more ways of getting around that you can use to help yourself out in those situations so that you don't have to stay home. You can get a car service at a reasonable uh, amount and you can try that out as, as how would that be if I, if I gave up my car and only used these other means of transportation. So I, I think there's a way of sort of anticipating trial and something just, I will never do this, you know, and you, you kind of get a sense of what your life might be like. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think also you mentioned in your book that the surveys kind of show that if you, if you survey older adults, only a third of them think that they'll need help at some point later, Yeah. but that the statistics is that it's, it's closer to 70 or 75% of them, right? Right. At the, the older you get, the more help the more likely it is, I should say, that you will need some kind of help. And that does not mean nursing home placement, although that is still a possibility at some point, but that you can, you will need some kind of assistance around the home, whether it's with household repairs or personal care assistance, um, all the things that you know you may not find is easy to do, or frankly, you don't want to do. I have a, a wonderful woman who comes to my apartment every week and does the laundry and cleans up. And I love going home on Monday night because I know she's been there. Mm. Well, I could do that by myself. I mean, there's nothing, nothing impeding me from doing it. But hey, I like it when somebody else does it. Um, and I, I work, so I have a, the income to pay for it. But you know, there's a certain way of saying, how am I spending my time? Is this what I really want to do? And if not, can somebody else do it for me? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So last time I interviewed you, you mentioned doing focus groups with family caregivers. And I was wondering yes. if you have done anything similar with older adults or otherwise, were you able to research in writing your book, you know, what are older people themselves usually most concerned about when it comes to addressing their needs or planning for the future? Because um, I know, especially certainly when it comes to family caregivers, that sometimes what we as experts think is most important is not necessarily what the caregivers themselves voice right. as their biggest concern. So were you able to do some similar? Yeah, I didn't do any focus groups mm-hmm. um, for this. I, it's, it's kind of hard to, I could have done, but didn't. But I sort of took my experiences with 
family caregivers who fit into this category and listening to them about what they wish their parents had done. Mm -hmm. Usually it's their parents. What made it harder for them to help and be managing these uh, uh, needs and said, you know, why then what are you doing for yourself? And they had not thought about that. So mm -hmm. it was a kind of translation of this is the problem I'm having. Well, you don't want to have any have that problem. So how are you going to fix it? Um, and most of them issues related about lack of communication, mm. talking to, to someone. Not so, so they wish their parents had talked to them more? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. They wish their parents had talked to them about medical care, about what kinds of care they would want if they became very ill. A lot of it was secrecy about money. Mm. A lot of it was just kind of not wanting to let their fears or their concerns about aging into the open. Mm -hmm. So they felt shut out of their parents thinking. And so, if, you know, I would say sometimes to people, well, you know, who are you talking to? Oh, I haven't had time to do that. Okay, you're just doing what your parents said. Mm -hmm. so, so think about doing it differently. Talk, right. to your, talk to your kids. All right, they're younger, but still they're not, you know, they can listen to you. Think about, you know, what you would want it, not to be in the situation that your parents uh, have, have, have created. Granted, they were in a different generation where things were, far more often kept secret. But I mean, think, what have you learned from caregiving? Not just how to change uh, you know, a hospital bed, but what have you learned about the relationship between older people and, and their children? And I think that's a, a way to think about it that does, for some people, does help. And some, some uh, times, I mean, I know with my own mother, she was very secretive about money but she was totally open about the kind of care she wanted at the end of her life. And there was never a question about that. So, you know, she had her, she had her ideas and her wishes very clear and um, not always exactly what I would have wanted, but okay, we, we dealt with it. At least it was out in the open. We knew what we were dealing with. Mm hmm. Yeah. So earlier, you mentioned that you're in your early 80s. So would you mind sharing with us how you've gone about addressing your own sort of planning and and navigating? So earlier, you mentioned kind of that some key things to consider would be, you know, housing and transport and finances and your sort of advanced planning. Well, yeah, I think um, I mentioned the keeping the the accessibility features of my apartment, even though I might not have done so. So you've, um, you've thought about where you're living and- Yeah, I thought about where I'm living and mm -hmm. having had to move twice when uh, my late husband was disabled, I'm not gonna move again. <laughs> that's, okay. that's it, not so, moving. So you're uh, planning to stay where you are? I'm gonna stay where I am. Okay. I do not have a car anymore. Mm -hmm. I use, public transportation or car services. You do live in New York City, right? I live in New York City, okay. which makes it a lot easier, I know. I don't, I do a lot of online shopping because it's so hard to, grocery shopping, I mean, because 
to schlep a you know bag of groceries and then get a bus or get a taxi. It's kind of hard. So I I eased that way. As I said, I've revised my will a couple of times. I've also talked to my children about my advanced directive, um, talked to them about and showed them what the will has, and talked to them about how I want them to think about dividing up all of the family you know they're not heirlooms in any way but i have a lot of artwork i have a lot of other things that might that some might want some might not and i don't want anybody to be i don't want i have three children i don't want them to be both either feeling they have to take something or that that they want more than you know the others mm -hmm. so we established a, a principle of that so I've done those sorts of things. I feel very close to my children. I don't feel there are any secrets that they should know about. Um, and they've seen, you know, they've seen what caregiving can involve. It doesn't necessarily have to. So that's the best I can do at this point. Now, when I have some other, um, something else happens, I will have to uh, revise all of that, mm -hmm. but I'm quite open to revising. Main thing is I'm open with my kids about mm -hmm. what's going on. Right. And so your book also sort of covers some, you know, legal issues and especially the importance of powers of attorney for healthcare yes. and for legal financial. Yes. And do you regularly go over your finances with your children so that um, in, they have in, to help out, they'd be able to? Uh, in general, I do. I don't do it specifically. Both two kids have power do have power of attorney over financial affairs, and one is close by and one isn't. So there's there is a backup person in terms of finances. the The will does outline some of the uh, some of the financial aspects, but that's something I'm going to have to revise. I know I know about that. So I I think I've done as well as I can, not, not that I follow every, <laughs> every bit of advice um, that I give others, but I do have a very good um, elder law attorney, which is important. And I have a very good financial advisor, which is also important. So I think that, you know, I've, I feel comfortable at this point, but I could easily be persuaded that I need to do something else. Well, there is such a, a long, uh, long list of things to potentially think yeah. about. I was actually thinking about your other for dummies book about long term care. And you do write about that in this book too. the sort of question of, you know, should one have insurance and basically, you know, if you needed more help for your daily needs, long term uh, care supports and services, as, as you mentioned, they're sometimes called, there's the question of, you know, who would provide it and how would it be paid for? And, and you point out in your book that a lot of it is provided for free by family members. Yes. Um, I mean, you were your parent, you were your husband's long-term right. care, you know, one of his primary long-term care providers, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and you sort of point out that, that, you know, it can be provided in assisted living or that, you know, these are options that people come up with. So for yourself, did you, did you sort of map out possibilities and talk to your children? I think people often have difficulty figuring out exactly how they might address it. Well, ahead of time, obviously, when there's a problem, they start looking into options and trying to figure yeah, out what um, I, benefits I, they qualify for. I think that 
one of the, and there is a, a section of the book about myths about aging, that I am still, even after all of these years of, of talking about it, writing about it, people still don't understand that Medicare does not cover long-term care. Oh, yeah. Um, and it just, you know, they, it's one of those things that can't seem to be eradicated from the American psyche. Well, let's, um, let's be very clear right now on the podcast. Maybe you can briefly tell us what, you know, Medicare <laughs> broadly covers and does not, since it's such Medicare, a common misconception. Medicare covers home health care for an episode of care when you've been in the hospital and you're coming home and a doctor certifies like Jeff Leslie that you need home health care for a specific time and that's skilled nursing care. In other words, care that needs to be provided by an RN. Uh, Medicare will cover some of the of the equipment that you need and, and uh, depending on your whether you have a, a prescription plan, some of the uh, prescriptions. Medicare will also cover a short-term stay in a skilled nursing facility for rehab or skilled nursing care after a after a three-day hospital stay, um, and actually being transferred from a hospital to a SNF skilled nursing facility is very much more common. I don't know in your area, uh, Leslie, but it definitely you know people are getting short hospital stay say a couple of weeks and a sniff and then another transition home. Right. Medicare does not cover long-term care in the home or long-term care in uh, a nursing home. That's Medicaid. And for that, each state has different requirements, but they all are based on a low income or low assets. So it's not something that the average middle-class person can make available. What happens is people do spend down, as the words go, um, so that they become eligible for Medicaid and then can get some care from um, in the home or in a nursing home. Increasingly, Medicaid is going to a managed long-term care set of policies so that all of the care is, is bundled. And so it's still requires a lot of family involvement. So Medicaid is not an all or nothing process and each state is, is different. So, but if you're thinking of, you know, someone coming to the home every day, taking care of you and cleaning up around the house and all of that stuff. Helping you, you know, age in place. Age, yeah, aging in place is, your, is on your bill, on your, on your dollar for the most part. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think people are often quite surprised because they think Medicare will, will step up. But in fact, it's very, uh, it doesn't. yeah, very focused on health services, often related to a hospitalization yes. or specific illness, but not uh, not longer term and not even when people have dementia. I think that's another sort of yep. sobering uh, thing that people realize. That, and there's uh, this thing called that you would you must come in contact with all the time. This thing called medical necessity mm. you have to you leslie have to document that this person needs this that whatever it is because it's a medical necessity it's not 
a life necessity. It's a medical necessity. Right. Yeah. But it, so, but I have to document that they need the skilled service, you know, the yeah. nurse or physical therapist or occupational therapist, because even though help and supervision in the home might be, I would say medically necessary when people have, you know, Alzheimer's, it's not considered medical care. That's right. And so then it is not covered, which seems extremely unfortunate. Although I guess it's possible that more of it will be covered because there was that recent law passed in Congress, right? That's going to allow Medicare Advantage, the Medicare HMOs, to provide some non-strictly medical services if they want. Well, that's an an issue that uh, I think at this, right now, this week, which is not when your uh, listeners will hear this, but choosing uh, between original Medicare and Medicare Advantage, uh, Medicare Advantage plans will be able to offer some additional services such as home care for small amounts of time probably but it's not clear whether what plans will 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 offer and what other kinds of uh, situations you might want to think of with medicare advantage the networks of providers is often smaller than with original Mm -hmm. medicare yeah so it's not an it's not an easy choice but yes there will be some more benefits possibly available in a medicare advantage plan in the future great now you mentioned that you have three children and one of them is fairly close by because earlier you were mentioning how helpful it can be to be close to family but you and I know that um, a fair number of older adults are, are, you know, quote unquote, aging alone or aging solo, and they don't have adult children, and, and many may not even have a spouse. They're either widowed or never married or divorced. And I hear from some of them sometimes uh, on the site, sort of asking how can they plan ahead for their aging. Any thoughts or suggestions for people who might be in that situation? I know people in that situation. And they're worried and they, you know, it's, it's not an unrealistic worry. I think, actually, let me go back to that care map. I think it would be interesting for such a person to take, a, to try to draw a map and think about other people who in various aspects of your life have been close to you. They may not be close right now, but they were one, at one time or people you could rely on for not for everything and not for overwhelming things but for the kind of emotional support or practical support in limited ways that you might rely on i think it's important to find at least one or two people who may be in a professional capacity but who are objective and can help you make some decisions that you don't have another person that you can bounce ideas back with. What I really worry about with people like this is they're getting enmeshed in some kind of scam, Mm. let's put it directly, by people who they meet somehow and they somehow, this person becomes part of their life as my new friend. And that new friend is not a friend, but someone who is looking to take advantage of you. And I can understand when a person is alone and lonely that this may seem like, you know, why would you don't understand this person is very nice. She's lovely and she she understands me and you don't. (laughs) But 
that is why you need an outside person before you give anything to this new friend or let Mm -hmm. this friend be your financial power of attorney. So I think there's there are a lot of people looking at looking for this kind of person. So the idea is to get a few people that you do trust and you do believe have your best interests at heart. And whether they're a distant family or or people that you've had encounters with over the years, people that you can trust, it's very difficult. But it's also very important for people like this even more important, I think, in some ways, to have advanced directives that say what kind of care you want and what kind of care in particular you don't want. Because without that kind of documentation, uh, medical staff in a hospital or EMS, any of these people will have no idea. And with no, no idea, the option is always do everything and that may not be what you want if it is that's fine but if it's documented at least at least you have a, a better chance of getting that care right so it, right. it's it's tough yeah yeah well you know we've you mentioned earlier that you know housing is an important issue to think about and we talked about aging in place but that there's also this idea we had Andrew Sharlock on the podcast on a recent episode talking about the village movement but also talking about the idea of aging in community Mm-hmm. That what what you want to think about is is a supportive community, both for the social engagement and stimulation, but also you know as a a support network. And so I was, um, I know that some people, especially the ones who are are aging alone or don't have close family ties, are sometimes looking you know interested in banding together with right. other people in housing communities for people like that. Did you? In researching your book, did you come across any housing options that might be a, a particularly good fit for people who are aging alone? Well, I think there are there are a number of co-housing or community co whatever cohabiting arrangements mm-hmm. um, that um, are great, but you have to think about again. They're great for now. How will they be when? Are you willing to become? literally a caregiver for your co-housing person? Or would you want those people to be responsible for you? It's fine when people are need only a little bit of help and, and can support each other. It gets a little trickier when people have a lot more needs. So I think it's an interim step that is a great idea. And there, there are some arrangements where people who've had careers in the same way, in the same area, band together in in different uh, housing arrangements. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have either say, have a music background or they have an, another kind of background or they have experience in the military. And one of the things I have learned from talking to a lot of veterans groups is that a lot of veterans have never, particularly the older ones, have never really expressed uh, the trauma of being in a battle situation or even in a, in a situation where you're unsafe. And somehow the ability to talk about those things with other people who've been there is very important as you get older and you need, um, and that ben- that's a benefit. So I think those are other, they're very special kinds of, of arrangements, but 
that might work for somebody and right. that might be the, yeah. a, a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great community that would be a good fit for um, for those people. So we, we've kind of uh, often touched on the fact that there are just so many different issues. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that come up and need eventually, ideally, to be addressed. If you address them proactively, you lay a better foundation. If you don't, you and or your family you know, may well be scrambling to address them later. So, so as I read through the book, I thought, well, so, so how does one not get overwhelmed by this? Do you have any thoughts on how people can work their way through all of it without getting sort of tired or discouraged or, or lost in it? Well, or would, did you find an approach for yourself, um, a master I, list? I don't know. No, I think that it can be overwhelming, but if you take things one step at a time and the real advantage and benefit of doing it before it's absolutely a necessity is that you have a little time. So take advantage of that time and go as slowly as it's comfortable for you. So take the first thing, if I would say to somebody, what are you most worried about or what what choice is just really bugging you and start there mm-hmm. start that and then then branch out because okay i've decided that this great big old house is not the place for me i'd like to live in a smaller place but i'm not sure you know what it should be okay figure that out then figure out where it would be better for you to live how can you afford to do that or what would the what would the choices be? And then, you know, take each thing as it, as it comes. I think trying to do it all at once, which unfortunately a crisis does kind of make you do, is not a good way to go about it. So take advantage of the fact that right now you're sitting in your home, you're reading a book, the television is on, you've had a nice dinner. Okay, let's, let me think about one thing. And then I'll go on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a little bit at a time and just kind of chip away at it. Well, your book is certainly a wonderful resource to help people do that. And again, I want to endorse your suggestion earlier, the, the inventory mm-hmm. early on as a good way to think about and take stock of you know, a variety of these important issues that we've already uh, touched on, both regarding your personal preferences and the state of your housing situation, your health situation and so forth. Any other resources that you would especially recommend to Uh, the audience? Well, I think that if you have a chronic health problem, as many people in this age group do, I think looking at what's available through the disease organization that uh, is advocating for people with your particular condition is a good thing, particularly things like dementia, neurological diseases, um, diabetes. They don't have to be, you know, life-threatening diseases, but that where there are support groups and there are other kinds of information that would be very helpful for you. Our United Hospital Fund Next Step in Care guides are very, they're intended for family caregivers, but there's no reason why they couldn't be used by anyone. Um, If you're planning a hospital stay, for example, a um, joint replacement, which is a particularly common thing. I've had Mm -hmm. two hip replacements. So take a look at those. It's www.nextstepincare.org. ARP has a lot of information on its website. The website has got a lot of stuff. It can be hard to find. Um, I find that looking at some of the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
um, information on home safety is very helpful or on chronic diseases. Books, there are, there are any number of books. You want to, from my perspective, stay away from the ones that promise you you're going to live forever if you do this or that. Mm-hmm. Not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, folks. <laughs> Not going to happen. And I also find that memoirs by people who are aging and have made choices and have done different things or have done this with for a parent or with a parent, that can kind of do it. Say, how, how, how does that person's experience square with mine? Maybe this is something I can, I can learn something from that. So I think that once you start looking, and very important resource is your local librarian. Mm-hmm. I always go to the librarians for whenever I'm looking for something, and they're wonderful. So that's, and libraries have become far more involved in current issues and current things that people want to find out about and have a lot more activities around around aging in particular. I know my library does. So that that's also a place where you might meet people who are in a similar situation where you, not a support group, but it's a place where you can meet other people who are dealing with the same choices and questions, and you might find that be very helpful. So look in your community, what's there, and, and you will all find a lot of things that you didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the ARP website. I'll have to look um, and find the specific link, but I think they have a nice kind of planning for your care guide um, yes. with a bunch of checklists that, you know, could be a helpful resource yeah. for that people can right. look at to, good, to good make sure they've addressed key mm. uh, There are a lot of good things that, that are there. There's a book on Medicare, which is also a dummies book, which mm-hmm. has been uh, revised several times. And that, the other thing that my book too, you have to think about, have things changed? And with government policies and Medicare and all of these things, things do change. So you always have to want to make sure that you're looking at current information. Right. A book that's up to date, ideally. Well, Carol, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today to, uh, to talk about it. And I will definitely post a link to your book in the show notes. I was just so pleased to see you publish it because I have had a lot of, um, about half of our audience at Better Health While Aging is older adults. And, you know, several of them have asked for help and resources in being proactive about their own aging. So uh, I know your book will be a valuable resource to them and these other resources too. Well, that's that's great. And I I really do hope that readers of, my book, but also your listeners and your audience kind of takes the message that, okay, it's scary, but you can do this. <laughs> and you can do it by doing it with a lot of self-examination, a lot of reflection, and talking to other people. I think once you start opening up about it, you'll find that the issues can be resolved. There's not a, you don't get everything you want, but at least you know that it's what you have chosen. Right. That's a great point to, to end on. Carol, thank you so much. Thank you, Leslie. Great talking to you. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. 
To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.